0: What's up world? Welcome to the Awoken Word podcast. This is your host Anuj Rastogi. Now, let's get the elephant in the room out of the way. Yes, you're not crazy. This is the first episode being published in quite some time. A little thing called COVID that you might have heard about at some point in the last six months has definitely had an impact on a lot of people. Thankfully, everyone on my end is safe and healthy, and uh, just had to shuffle and reprioritize a few things along the way, but uh, Awoken Word is alive and well, and there's a lot more to come. So, I don't want to spend a ton of time on housekeeping. I just really want to get you into this next great episode. Over the past few months, I've actually had some wonderful conversations with some great individuals, and you're going to see those episodes coming up over the coming months. Today's guest is the man, the myth, the legend, G. Yamazawa. G or George Yamazawa is actually out of Durham, North Carolina, and he is a simply incredible rapper, spoken word poet, hip-hop artist, and just an all-around interesting dude. I'm glad we had a chance to connect, and this conversation was really rewarding for me. Talking to an artist who is as fresh and as thoughtful in what he does, has a real reverence for the musical traditions, and the shoulders of the giants on which he stands is always a nice feeling for me. G has just got some really sick flow, and he's got a message in his music. This conversation was actually recorded some time ago, so if it seems a little tone-deaf to some of the things that have happened in, in recent weeks or months, you'll know why. We actually spoke a couple months into the pandemic, and yet this was well before the entire George Floyd incident happened that completely shook the world as it should, This is before the pandemic hit full swing. This is before TikTok was banned. This is before Trump came down with COVID. This is before all of the shenanigans that have led up to uh, what is now full force 2020 elections in the US. It's before all of that. So we don't touch on some of those current events, but I think a lot of what we talk about is true and eternal to music, to artistry, and to just being a human in today's world. We did have this conversation over video chat, so you will hear at some point some audio artifacts, and I do apologize for it, but it is a sign of the times that we live in. In this conversation, G and I end up connecting on the small world dynamics that brought us together into this conversation and how that all works. Uh, He talks about what it was like growing up in Durham, North Carolina, and what it means to him. I really enjoyed the point where he started to share a little bit about how spoken word poetry became a mechanism for him in finding his own authentic voice in hip-hop and in rap and we go on to talk a lot about what hip-hop means to the world and why it resonates Uh, and we talk a lot about what music and particularly black music means for not just america but for the world and why it's been able to carry so far into every corner of the world Uh, we do talk about america today or at least today as of a few months ago what the COVID lockdown means, what it means for artists and for music and people just hustling to try and make a living. And we do touch on the election, although we don't spend a ton of time on it. Regardless, G is a man that you need to watch out for. He does have a new album coming out, I believe in the next several weeks. So if you've been living under a rock and you haven't yet heard about G Yamazawa, I would ask you to pause right now go and check out some of his music, check out some of his videos, hear some of his live spoken word poetry, and come back here. And what you'll actually see is a very thoughtful, intelligent, well-versed man. And I think you'll get a glimpse into the madness behind the method inside of G's head. And although 2020 has been an absolute raging tire fire of a year, there's always moments of incredible hope (laughs) in this uh, crazy world. One of those moments I found out was at some point after our conversation, G actually just recently got engaged. And I just want to wish you, G, as well as Chris, a lifetime of happiness together. I hope you have crazy adventures and a life full of love. And just wish you peace and blessings for an incredible journey ahead. Without further ado, I give to you my conversation with the rapper, spoken word poet, the mystic, the mad genius that is G. Yamazawa. This podcast is my humble attempt to Beautiful. bring a full grain of sand of goodness to the beach of human experience. Inspiring. This podcast is my love letter to all of you. We are back here on the Awoken Word podcast. I am your host, Anuj Rastogi, and I am absolutely stoked for today's conversation. I've got... One of the more interesting people that I've probably come across, and I hadn't even yet met him here with me, well, actually he's in LA and I'm in Toronto, G. Yamazawa is a rapper, spoken word poet, slam champion, as I understand it, a cultural diplomat for the US Department of State. You've been all over the media from ABC and NBC to PBS. You have performed at the Pentagon, which uh, maybe at some point we'll talk about, I'd how the hell did you end up at the Pentagon? And uh, you do something that seems to be pretty close to heart for me, which is kind of challenging perceptions and thinking around the human condition, which is what Woken Word is all about. G, thank you for being here. I'm really curious to hear what it's uh, what it's like to be a Japanese-American in 2020, mid-COVID America, in the middle of a pandemic. How is life?
1: Oh, man, what a of question, man. Um, it's great to be here uh life for me man i'm i'm sure as many other folks um like in, in the in the kind of midst of all this stuff going on trying to stay quiet and trying to lay low and and trying to address some of the things in my personal life that um maybe i've been neglecting in um both good and bad ways and so and it's interesting for me particularly where i've i've for one spent all of my 20s touring and being on the road um by myself and uh and and i've had to use social media like very professionally in in a sense um and Mm. almost was was um obligated to sort of be on social media and i love social media you know don't get me wrong but you know there's those moments where you kind of don't want to be on it but you feel like you got to keep up with everybody i feel you so yeah for right now the last two months for me i've been able to to stay quiet and get to just read man i'm not a reader by any means and and um, just do things like that and, and trying to stay afloat, man, um, like everybody else. That
0: surprises me, actually, hearing that you're not a reader. That uh, I would have totally, I would have seen you as a reader for sure. Nah. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, a listener, I guess, man. Listener, watcher, you know, picture, go straight right. to the pictures type of cat. Yeah.
0: Well, look, let's let's just talk a little bit about how we end up here. It's always cool to just see how things kind of line up and how stars align. So I think it would have been two or three years ago, maybe just randomly on YouTube, I came across North CAC. And I hear this track and I see you and it's fresh. It's like nothing else I've I've heard before. Uh, and it's coming from a place that I don't really know a lot about, you know, Durham, North Carolina. And it's, it's pure hip hop at the same time. And I'm a huge lover of hip hop, have, you know, grew up on it. Uh, I've had artists from around the world who are hip-hop artists and poets and whatnot on here as well. But something just kind of stuck out to me. And then I checked out a few more tracks, and I think it it was pretty quickly became a fan. Um, I really liked uh, Dining Room, I think it is. And I think that was one of those pieces where I realized, okay, this guy's clearly got flow, he's got bars, but he's telling a story that's coming from a real genuine place which is what art and hip-hop really should be about. So fast forward you know, a few years, I end up on Ruckus Avenue Radio. I hadn't yet met Sammy, but uh, fast forward, end up meeting him, had him on the show, and it was really cool because I had actually seen him about 10 years ago, maybe actually more, 13, 14 years ago, when he had a group called Karmacy in the Bay Area. And he's actually one of the people that was part of the genesis of hip-hop moving from the U.S. out into India, and there's this incredible underground hip-hop scene that's not so much underground anymore, but he's one of the original influences that actually drove that because he started rapping in his own dialect and, you know, in a language outside of English in a way that people could internalize there. And I was just scrolling through Instagram and I saw this pre-Grammy party with the Ruckus crew, and in the back I'm like, is that G. Yamazawa? (laughs) So I reached out to Sammy. I'm like, yo, is that Gigi Hamazawa in your photo? He's like, yeah, you know him? I'm like, no, I don't know him, but I'd love to talk to him. All so right. here we are. It's just, it's crazy how things just come together.
1: Yeah, man. Um, the circles. Yeah, and they keep circling. They keep they keep going somehow.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I mean, me so, and Sammy, we go, we go back a few years as well. And we had sort of just reconnected kind of out the blue. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, uh, it's been great reconnecting with Sammy as well. working, working together.
0: How'd you guys first, uh, meet or come across each other?
1: He hit me up, um, about the dining room track, actually, the, ah. um, particularly. And, um, and you know, it's funny Something some, I told him too, that we just had started talking and building, you know, like a, a lightweight connection. And, and then we ended up doing the project, the active change, um, project as well for the white house initiative for Asian American and Pacific Islanders. But, um, one of the things he told me, I just remember was we had some random conversation about me trying to get this album done. It was um Shouts to Durham.
0: Right.
1: And uh yeah, I just like felt I was like a young cat. I was felt like I needed a studio, real good studio and like a budget. I felt like I should have been signed by then. And and then he was like, dude, you need to, you know, you need to get a record done to represent and reflect this time of, of your life. Like, you know, you just need to put it out because you need to and that really uh, resonated with me and kind of was that last step I needed and last thing I needed to hear to get the project done. And yeah. so
0: Yeah, the man's got wisdom, that's for sure. for sure. So for the people that don't know you and may not have heard your work, who is G. Yamazawa? Man. I
1: don't know, man. I don't know. I'm like, a it's so weird, man. I'm, I'm like such a weird, oddly unique person with a unique story but also i'm just the most regular dude ever that like doesn't read (laughs) you know like i'm like uh, (laughs) i really am i think you're just your your homie from around the way kind of guy i would say um and uh yeah i love i love rapping i don't know man it's a great question man um it's always i get real uncomfortable with questions like that like how do you describe your sound or yeah i gotta get better at these things man yeah probably just part of this new generation and wave of kids who grew up in 90s early 2000s and love rap but grew up with it the commercialized version you know in a way and and uh trying to just figure it out kind of like everybody else but um and uh yeah i would say i'm millennial and all of these things too and um i kind of like where i'm at as far as this middle ground where i'm 29 and i feel like this really middle child as far as generationally um Mm. so yeah
0: so let's let's walk it back. You're in L.A. now, but mm-hmm. let's talk about Durham and, and you growing up. Uh, and I know this has been kind of a, a recurring theme in your poetry and, and, and your music, but what's Durham like? What would surprise people who've never been there? What do you think they need to know that would be, uh you know, would catch their ear? And, and what does it mean for you?
1: Man, it's a hard question to answer as well, because Durham's changed like everywhere else, you know, so rapidly. So, The Durham and what it means to me may be different to what it you could get you know from it if you were to visit right now. Um, But I think a lot of things still ring true, which is that it's a humble, it's like a humble but still prideful place, and it's um, it's a it's a small, simple place, and uh, and it's like surprisingly extremely diverse and progressive, and and accepting and tolerant and loving and um and and hard working and gritty um and it has its own kind of dark side as well but um but yeah i think it's that that culture you you would just feel you know certain places you go to you feel the culture without even really it's Mm. a kind of a sensibility it's in the air Um, right and you know there's things you can point out but at the end of the day there's this like feel that you get and i think that durham has that as as small of a place as
0: it is and were you born there yeah okay durham regional so, you know, people can definitely check out your, your music and, and some of your poetry to get a, an inside glimpse on some of this stuff. But I'm curious how how poetry, like spoken word poetry and rap come into your life, how hip-hop come into your life. Like what role did these play with you growing up and how did you end up finding yourself in this? How did you find yourself realizing, I, I'm not going to just consume this, I can create this?
1: Good question. I mean, well, I'll start by saying I just I wanted to rap. You know, I, I that was the main thing from like 13, 14, 15, 16. It was mm-hmm. rap, 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 wanted to make it. And like I said, like I think I always understood the difference between, you know, radio and underground. And I understood, right. I understood that there was this true school um, and pop thing. But it wasn't it wasn't that clear to me. I didn't have a community that w- in which that was so clear that I had this like you know community of folks that was listening to kind of subgenre shit and you know so yeah, right, I grew yeah. up with this huge wave of of commercial rap and I think as I was like getting older and realizing this like major moral dilemma <laughs> about like how <laughs> what to rap about and who to be that's when poetry came into the picture and. What poetry allowed me to do was get to write, you know, get my shit off, um, get in front of an attentive, respectful audience as small as it was, which was right like seven people met for real and and just 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 get it in and 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 that's where I think the true school spirit of what you know this oratory tradition that we're a part of mm-hmm. is where i I learned the depth of hip hop through poetry, I would say. And yeah, and I think the poetry allowed me to go back into the realm of rap, like with this newfound appreciation. And, right. and I think conviction, I think maybe a sense of self poetry gave me that rap maybe at that time wouldn't have been able to provide.
0: You, you talked about commercial rap uh, and then subgenres. What makes something commercial versus not in your mind? Like, it is, are, you, are you selling some part of your soul in commercial
1: uh, I mean, I think easily defined as radio um, versus not radio. Um, okay. I mean, to me, it's hard, right? Like, I don't know if I've ever been the one to get to define it, you know, especially as somebody mm-hmm. who's sort of just watching it all happen, right? Like, you're a part of the culture, and you're part of it happening, and you're just sort of – it's just you're in the times, and you're young, and it's a communal – a communal culture where um um that's just kind of the is it's the soundtrack to your life you know what's on the right. top 40 and so we grew i grew up listening to the you know trying to get the tune like i hated the you know you had to get the dial and it's mm-hmm. cool to have to be old enough now to have these yeah, yeah. things that i hold close to my heart but it was k9 7.5 and two jams and um uh, yeah, it's hard to answer that question as far as what's commercial. And then even for myself personally, North Cat, like you said, is like this true school type of record, but it, it was all over North Carolina radio. And it was it became right. this anthemic thing that um, transcended what you would qualify as like a pop song, you know.
0: Um, so so that's when, cool. When you, start, when you started rapping, I mean, you're, you're Japanese American and you're rapping. And on top of that, you're from North Carolina. Like there's all these things happening at the same time. When you first hit the scene, when you first uh, started doing your thing, what was the response from people? Like were they, did they kind of play it off as, you know, a, a gimmick or a joke or they heard you and they just knew that this thing's for real?
1: Man, it's usually, it's usually a like a look, it's a huge look that you get before you before you go you know it's like this where you walk into the venue or the guy at the front you know or you know you and then it's i'll be honest man i've i've always been so serious about this like i've just been tight man and so i would always get received respect and i would get love and um it's something that i got addicted to for sure at a young age
0: Um, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. but seeing that
1: room shift is is special man
0: What drives you? Like, what uh, what makes you want to do this? Uh, And does is your motivation today different than it was when you started?
1: Probably many things, man. Probably many things subconsciously that you can like try to name. Probably a lot of things that are subconscious that like um, are can be negative functions. For example, like in my, I think a few years ago, four or five years ago, I started to realize that a lot of it is insecurity, and a lot of it, you know, came from this like. Very, very unstable, you know, needing attention and needing to prove myself as like a valid, strong person kind of thing and and realizing I had a gift and just hanging on to it. And, and a lot, I would say a lot of it's just naturally, I like my personality, likes being in front of people and having mm-hmm. attention. I think there's just a natural element to that. And then another thing is sort of that American dream and, and hero and be the greatest in the Michael Jordan era. And I don't know if you've been watching Last right. dance. I mean, there's a lot yep. of that. There's a lot of, and then in rap, kind of, I just karmically ended up in rap, but it's like, you know, this is also such a competitive field and it's, it's a culture and it's an art, but it's also athleticism in many ways. And it's like a sport, man. So um a lot of things translated and kind of there were a lot of parallels in it but ultimately man i love i just kind of love it and i love words and getting a form of a punchline bro it's like a dope feeling so i just kind yeah, of yeah. keep chasing that feeling and and um now what's crazy what drives me i would say what's changed is the medium so now i'm in the in the in the world of making songs and albums and um it's like when you when you release something on Spotify, it's like next to Michael Jackson shit, you know. It's me, it's next right, to like, you yeah. know, it's like you're in, you know, and that's a trippy like metaphysical kind of feeling too um, as somebody who makes music where.
0: What um, was it? Uh, one of my punchlines, knock your Vicodin off.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, try to.
0: So you grew up with hip hop. I, I grew up with it too. It's got a very long history. It's got a much longer history than I think a lot of people give it credit for. It mm-hmm. then just kind of magically happened in Brooklyn. Like there's mm-hmm. a whole uh history of, you know, Afrobeat and, and culture that lives behind it. But it's gone in a very short time in our lifespans from complete obscurity to this global phenomena. You can't find a place in the world that doesn't now have some semblance of an underground hip hop scene with MCs doing the thing. Many countries have some degree of commercial pop. It's, it's literally everywhere. Why do you think that hip hop resonates? What is its power? Another big question.
1: man. You know, these type of, type of questions is trippy, man, because it's like oh, so many things.
0: See, part of the, okay, just a part part of the reason I'm asking, like, I, I it's a question I actually ask a lot with mm-hmm. with artists and folks I meet. Um, I'm at least I'm seeing you from the outside as a Japanese American who's grown up in the U.S., grown up on hip hop. You obviously live in that culture, and yet you've got your Japanese experience and heritage behind you. And I know you've woven parts of that in, whether it's through the narrative or even parts, you know, the language and whatnot. And so clearly what you're doing speaks to both sides of that, right? And clearly there's a lot of people of Japanese and every other conceivable descent that, it, that vibe with it. So there's something innately true about hip-hop, but I, I'm, I'm just I'm curious to hear what people think that is.
1: I mean, I think that maybe another kind of question that's related is like why is, why is American culture... Mm, bit yep. moved the world the way it has and and american music you know and i think it's because american music and culture ultimately is well american music specifically is black music right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah and i think it's the most powerful because it's been able to most beautifully translate you know the the kind of pain and suffering that it had to endure throughout Amer- mm-hmm. The what America is and it's that's what America and American music to me is and so I think hip-hop is this and then also like you have this side of America where we're like the ultimate you know propaganda marketing at you know it's kind of that's the soul of business kind of thing that we got going on where we're able to export it out into the world and there's all these evil things going on with that too but um I think the point is that it it moves you man and it's uh mm-hmm. it just you. I don't know what it is man it's hard to put a finger on it
0: it's funny because a lot of people are still put off when you you kind of say american music is black music or black music is american music but like from rock to jazz to blues to gospel to country to swing every single genre of music if you look <laughs> at the roots of it yeah. it started with a handful of black artists in some part of the U.S. that just started vibing, creating their own thing. And at some point, it reaches a certain stage or a certain set of ears and it goes mainstream. It usually leaves those artists' hands and we might forget about them in in the future. But, you know, rock... I've so many people have just talked about rock as being white music. And I've, you know, I've known black friends over, over the years who liked rock and they were told that that's, you know, this is white music, right. Mm-hmm. Even by other black people. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, the history isn't necessarily given the due regard because I, I don't think people realize the history. When you realize the history, then you appreciate it. But there's something in, in what they've been able to convey in this human experience that I think just transcends everything. For sure. Cause there really is no, I don't think there's been a single modern genre of music that I know of that you can say is a whole genre that hasn't come out of some black American roots, right? Like there just hasn't been anything that you listen to on the radio or even Mm -hmm. online anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Yeah, bro, it's it's just a trip that you start really thinking, you know, because what is the average consumer, how much time are they going to take to go into that? you know, mm-hmm. idea and history and where is his, you know, it's, 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 um it's strenuous, um, but it's there for sure.
0: I, uh I'll send you some links after, but uh, there's a, a rap who's probably one of my favorites, if not one of my all time favorites uh, named Akala out of the UK. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone speak so eloquently about so many things at such length and his, his music, his rap is just, it's insane. It's so dense with content and metaphors and whatnot. He's so well read. Uh, it's incredible. But like I, I found music in that way becomes a gateway for stuff that you don't necessarily know about, right? You hear something in a three or five minute track, and then it sparks some curiosity. And the next thing you know, you might find yourself reading more about it. Mm-hmm. And, and the, to me, that's part of the beauty of art.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So what, uh, what led you to move out to L.A.? And how long have you been
1: there, man? It was it felt like it was about that time? I had um in 2012 I actually moved to DC, and I lived there from um for three years, and then in 2015, um, it's so crazy to just gloss over this whole phase and part of your life, but and then moved to LA. Uh, yeah, five years ago now, I just felt like it was that time. Um, I was wanting to get into music for sure at that point and was touring the country full-time doing poetry and so the base actually didn't matter that much (laughs) actually for the first two Mm. three years I actually wasn't in LA a lot I really was still touring um and only the last year two years um year and a half I've been able to really be here and enjoy um,
0: LA why uh why did you stop the touring or slow down on that is it just focusing on other things Nah,
1: I think um it was uh I mean, so most of the touring was touring colleges for poetry, and mm-hmm. my heart and just creatively, I was wanting to do music, and so I would still do a lot of music-related stuff on the road. But <clears throat> it just wasn't the—I guess the business was slowing down, kind of thing. And so, yeah, you know, you get what you what you want, um, kind of thing. And and I ended up just things slowing down, man. And but now I'm working on music a lot and staying still, so it's been nice.
0: I am sure a lot of people will have seen uh 10 things you should know as an Asian American in the South. Mm-hmm. That that poem was uh is hilarious first of all. Thank you, man. The point you make about how people will see you and, you know, call you Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee or Jet Lee or you know the the small handful of Asian references that they actually have on the top of their dome. Mm -hmm. And that even after you explain the whole thing, um, you know, your background, where your parents come from and everything, uh, they're still not going to get it anyways. That resonates on so many levels because (laughs) I mean, as a, you know, as a South Asian, I was born in Canada, but my parents are from India. First of all, no one knew what we were for a good part of, you know, my, growing up and then when they knew anything, it's because of either the party where uh, Peter Sellers plays this Indian character in a slapstick way or Apu. And so Apu basically had a monopoly on everyone who was like, uh, you know, Brown-skinned South Asian for probably 15 Mm -hmm. years. And then we finally got a new role model, which was Kumar from Harold and Kumar, right? And like, I, I seriously, I like, you know, I'd be with I'd be with colleagues, you know, walking in to, you know, um, you know, grab food or something. If one of them happened to be Asian, automatically we're Harold and Kumar. Like there's just no, there's no debate about that. Uh, you know, and then finally, 08 comes and then there's Slumdog Millionaire. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off the of CalPen. But I think we're finally now hitting that point where there's you know, more than a small handful of faces, at least in my case with, you know, with Huston, Minaj, and Mindy Kaling and, yeah. uh, you know, Riz Ahmed and all these people out there So, you, you know, you might be any one of these 10 people, mm. but I find it hilarious that people just need to find some way to gravitate to connecting with you based specifically on ethnicity, mm-hmm. right? I've had the number of people I've had say, uh, like when, you know, old colleagues, you know, I'd show up on Monday guy be like, and one of my friends even would be like, you know, I was thinking about you this weekend. I'm like, why? What, you know, what happened? I had this amazing butter chicken and <laughs> I just couldn't help but think about it. I'm like, dude, like I don't, I don't <laughs> fucking tell you, like I had this amazing hot dog and feel like I'm going to ring you up because of that. Like <laughs> that's stupid. But, uh, you know, is that an experience that you felt like you had growing up as well? Or am I just crazy? No,
1: absolutely, man. Yeah. It's the, that's the duty, man. The duty." <laughs> yeah Do you i mean see it's, a, a, it's a beautiful mechanism like i mean you see it you see it happening and you know i think people are just reaching to grab towards some way some form of connection and some form of like connectivity you know and and it can be uh misinformed and it can be insensitive and it can be ignorant but it ultimately you can't expect people to meet you like where they've never been ultimately like if if that's where they're at, then say, "Hey, that's dope. That was good. We'll try this other shit, you know, next time." Mm, this is yeah, shit yeah. right here, I'm telling you, it, you know, and then it, it, maybe it'll pick the interest and think that's how cultural exchange happens on a really sincere level when you can yeah. kind of let that let that guard down and and try to give them the benefit of the
0: doubt, kind of thing. That was that there. one but line it in it dining room fatigue. that I that one line in dining room that I love. That's why uh, immigrants be cooking that food is the only way they communicate with you. Mm. That's the thing when when I heard your, when I heard your stuff, I'm like, this is uh, I mean, it's catchy first of all. And I think a lot of people go, there's nothing wrong with being overly technical. I don't think there's any wrong, anything wrong with anyone's approach to music. Like everyone's mm-hmm. got their own thing and, and their own reasons for doing it. But if it can be catchy and memorable and somehow either inspiring or informative or make you see things in a different way at the same time it's like it's it's the best of every world right and that's some of the that's some of the stuff that I loved coming out of of your music and I hadn't realized that you had gone you'd started in rap but you kind of you know moved towards poetry as a way of expressing some of perhaps the more uh, robust complex thoughts and then you've kind of mastered that you've come back full circle to being able to bring that into into your music is that a fair way to kind of state it
1: Yes, except the master f- feel of things. That would, I would say for sure not, because um, I think what it was, was that I wanted a, 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 I guess, better way to express the things that I wanted to express beyond what I had already. So when I made that transition, it was like hella identity, hella family stuff. Um and I felt like that was like my box. I had created this box for myself. And ultimately, though, rap was always my real dream, you know? And I think cats mm. who knew me and, and who could kind of perceive that through my work knew maybe I had a hip hop background, but that was my dream that I was always like afraid of too. So it was a bit of sort of like my, my you know, owing it to myself um, right. kind of thing as well. Um, but uh, But yeah, like. Yeah, my upbringing for real, for real. Like, what was it like? What was I? Do? What kind of kid was I? That kind of painting that picture more clearly for myself and for others, I think, was a big part of rap as well.
0: What's it like living in LA as an artist?
1: Uh, it's dope, man. It's crazy. Also, being an Asian artist, man, it's crazy. It's um, a huge infrastructure. There's a flow. There's different currents. There's um, different fields. There's different. You know, and it's a it's a learning experience, man, and it's humble it's humbling for sure too. It's odd, man, LA is one of the only places like you feel like a, a movie star and a nobody, like like <laughs> between moments, you know, yeah. Like, you could just have on a nice shirt and be at some hotel party and feel like for real like a Hollywood star for a second, and then you watch a Bentley pass by. You're like, you know, it's a trippy place, mm-hmm. man. Um, but it's cool.
0: I hadn't been to LA for a long, long time. Uh, And then over the last year, I'd been about, I think, four or five times before uh, uh, this coronavirus kind of, you know, got in the way of everything. Having been when I was much younger, I didn't really have a lot of love for LA. I didn't, it just felt like just this massive city with no soul. But going back now in the last year and having spent some more time there, having met more people at least in the short times that I've been there, just actually really getting a feel for it. It's like no other place I've ever been, for sure. And then, you know, I've been, I've been to a lot of places, a lot of very large cities, um, you know, and LA is right up there in terms of large cities. But I found it really interesting that as distant as people were geographically, just with the distance and the traffic and whatnot, if they wanted to see you and would, were willing to make time to see you, when they're there, they are there. Uh, they are like, they're present, they're in the moment, they're, they're hanging with you. And you could just feel that there was this, uh, there's this creative energy and infrastructure all around. And I, I knew obviously that, you know, it's the, the place of Hollywood and, you know, the big record labels. So, uh, on the upper echelons of creativity, it's obviously got it's, you know, it's a game. Mm -hmm. What I didn't realize is just how much there's happening at all strata of creativity right Mm -hmm. like grassroots underground every conceivable thing Mm -hmm. and i found that actually really inspiring it was cool to see that people were actually just interested in creating good stuff not just something that was the next blockbuster Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's supportive i mean the whole city is is like honoring the arts you know um and you feel supported walking around you feel like whoa this place is built off of off of creativity um and so it's, it it picks you up in the morning for
0: sure. You you mentioned uh, being an Asian artist in L.A. So is there a, a fair bit of support and infrastructure and camaraderie across the you know the various Asian communities in in Cali or L.A. specifically? Like, how, what's that look like?
1: Yes and no. You know, there's. I'm also kind of just like a solo solo kind of dude, but. Um, I think for me, it's more of a personal thing where you just, you don't feel like an alien. <laughs> like you don't feel, you know, like in your everyday, you walk around, you see, there's this whole Asian infrastructure. And I think to create from that kind of place of like abundance and confidence in this day and age is something that like not my childhood G would just be like, whoa, mm-hmm. like this is trippy, you know, and it, it still is every day. I wake up like, man, this is trippy, man, for real. Um, so that's, I think that's it's more of a it's more of the human human being kind of part of it where right it's just affirming and you, you you got this new surge of energy and um and maybe for me it's also different because I've known something else my whole life you know and now yeah. and now it's like a as I come into adulthood it's this is what I got man it's pretty tight
0: yeah. I get it I, yeah. I, it kind of reminds you that you're standing on the shoulders of giants and you sure. just uh, didn't realize it for sure I got the same feeling when. I hadn't been to India since I was nine. And then after I got married, I think it was around 31 or so when I went back the very next time. And I got that same feeling, just kind of, you know, you know landing somewhere where everybody at every level of society looks like you. And from, you know, the, from the billionaire to, you know, to the governor, to the largest, you know, the, you know, the, the, worst warlords, lords and criminals to, to, to movie stars and what have you, everybody's like you. And it was kind of a, it's something that you have to grow up in the absence of to, I think, appreciate. And I could appreciate that going back, uh, you know, with a lot of, you know, friends who have, you know, grew up there and then have moved here after they didn't really get it because they didn't see that as the first experience of life in their formative years.
1: Mm-hmm. It's your people, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's your people, man. It's just, it's tight. Oh, it's tight.
0: Let's talk about the series that is America and the world right now. Um, what is life like in, in your, in your, in your sphere, in your world right now, under the, the lockdown, you know, because of COVID, um, how has this changed your world besides you know obviously you're at home
1: uh man it's uh it's funny man i'm at the, in the, like all I wanted to do was just go back and forth to the studio like all all day you know that's all I've wanted it's all been my m o right now, and so for me on a very personal creative level um that adjustment has been has not been difficult. Um, and, uh, but, um, it's hard, man. I honestly don't know anything. So it's impossible to answer, answer that question because, uh, and I'm, there's, a, there. I think I'm doing a good job of not being fearful of what's going to happen. Cause it just is not going to do anything for me. Um, mm-hmm. and I mentioned, I'm just, I, I toured for so long that I, I, you know, I depended on the road for income. And so now I just sort of have to figure out how the whole industry is going to change, you know, and, and, um, and how to stay afloat, bro. I just have no, no answer for you. It's kind of trippy, but you know, sign up for the unemployment and trying to just, just make it through like every American, but it's kind of difficult because it's hard to complain about anything for sure, man. Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, I'm just like, dude, people are really going through it and I don't know what anyone's situation is like. And if I can hang on right now, uh, these savings and stay quiet and feel out the industry and, and what could possibly happen next, um, you know, we'll take it, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, just hoping everyone's, everyone's cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt this is going to change everything in every, uh, every industry in, in some way. Yeah. When I think about the world today and the way people consume music and media and film and stuff, I think we've gotten too. Too comfortable with just getting stuff for free. Uh, you know, you go to you go to YouTube, you watch a video. It's paid for by advertising. Uh, you know, some part of that ends up going to the artist if uh, you know if they're fortunate or got uh, you know if they've had the right wherewithal and have the right numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go to Spotify, the streams pay very little, for the most part, for the consumer. The only thing that you have to do is just click or tap, enter a few letters, and there you are. (laughs) Or, you know, just talk to your phone and next thing you know, whether it's Siri or Google is going to give you what you need. And we don't think about the fact that we've consumed something for free. And we feel like we're entitled to get it for free Mm -hmm. when artists are putting blood, sweat, and tears and oftentimes money and years into actually creating that thing. Do you think that we have an opportunity to maybe set some of that, right? Where people, you know, they know artists out there are investing of themselves to do what they do and create what they create. Do you think that we have an opportunity for people to kind of change their relationship with free?
1: I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a convenience thing too. Free and easy mm. is another word. Yeah. And um, um, I've been thinking a lot about like these like, transitions in the world like plastic and Mm -hmm. just like random shit that just comes along and it's like the the next best thing big thing and then you realize it's just it's not the best thing you know and then (laughs) you're like oh shit i didn't know and i think we're all trying to make it work and i mean there's an element of yes things are cheap and easy music wise but there's also an element of dude kids are like buying you know a hundred dollar thing and just recording in their crib and it's not costing them much to make too (laughs) there's like this element of some of this music is arguably you know not taking them is not taking it much to make at all they're just like
0: right that's true
1: um so yeah there's these um and then there's this there's, there's this this fusion of 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 music and video with these apps and tiktok where it's getting closer you know the the Distance between the song and the the visual attached to it is becoming closer and closer so that's also just the way we're all getting wired is different um but professionally speaking man for artists there's a part of me that's like and this is coming from me who's full-time art i'm like i chose this shit myself man like (laughs) this is my job you know what am i to complain and in a way you know where So we're all trying to make it and and be smart about our decisions in in the business of it. Um, And so I think there are avenues for artists to be able to sustain themselves and figure out how to make it work. Um, But it takes a lot for sure, it's difficult.
0: Yeah, and also I think that the ones with the most grit, um, are the ones that pull through too, right? Like, uh, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a tough business. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, as a artist and composer and like, I know firsthand, it's a, it's not easy. Like you got to put a lot of blood, sweat and tears in, and, and, you know, sometimes when you see someone like kind of pop up on the scene, like, and it seems like they were, you know, overnight it just happened Mm -hmm. and it took, it took years to make that Mm -hmm. overnight happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, this stuff, it's not easy. It's not Mm -hmm. easy you know, unless you happen to just kind of be born into uh, you know, one of those families, that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, but even then you got to <laughs> have talent. Yeah. 2020 elections are coming up. Yeah. Um, we're in the middle of a pandemic and everything is crazy. What's, um, <laughs> uh, how we're, how are you feeling about this moment in history? Like, I mean, you know, you're, you're old enough now to have seen a few presidents, you know, you've seen enough change, you know, moving across the country. Like how, like, what is the vibe uh, in the circles you roll in and how do, how are you feeling about things? What, what might surprise me?
1: It's interesting when you talk about politics, brother, I actually just think about social media. Like it, it makes me think about that first and it makes me think mm. about the, the, the conversations and debates and memes and and the way that, you know, our generation is reacting to the politics. And it's like, you know, I think my opinions aren't that strong, partly because I'm probably not as educated as I could be. Um, and partly because I know that that's not exactly my realm and where I'm like directly most effective. Um Right. And that my realm, if it's the arts, is like, you know, the hearts of people. <laughs> and, you know, trying to figure out what's the best way to, like, get people to think about others um, and think and be self-aware um, and uh, and not preach to the choir, you know, not make art that just preaches to the choir. And I guess try to, you know, build a wider perspective. Um, but... Yeah, bro. I don't know. Shit's crazy as fuck, dude. It's like, uh, it's like reality TV. It's like social media. It's like uh, the bots are crazy. You know, like the Russian rush propaganda is crazy, man. It's like all kind of. Um, I well, don't it's, know, man. Politics it's funny shakes that shakes me up.
0: It's funny that you say that you think the first thought is about social media, and it's not even about the the people or the politicians themselves. But, like, Mm -hmm. social media has created this whole other dynamic Mm -hmm. entirely, right? Where everyone – so I I think technology is brilliant because it's democratized access to information and everyone has a voice. And technology is an absolute raging – uh, tire fire because is democratized and gives everybody a voice and access mm-hmm. to saying something. And uh, we see we see a different, I think, perspective living in Canada of the world than the U.S. I think sees, and it's all it's all it's always harder to see yourself objectively when you're on the inside. I don't mm. think we see our own country perfectly objectively either, mm. but. Whenever I've actually spent um, time, like last year traveled a lot, like in Austin, LA, New York, like, you know, but over the years I've spent a lot of time in different parts of the U.S. And the people that I usually meet, and granted is probably the kind of people that I gravitate to, they're just like amazing people that just want to do good shit. They just want to make the world or the community a little bit better in some way, shape, or form. And they're just good people that want to live a good life and it's that that's it Mm -hmm. you step outside of communities where you can actually talk to people and you see the narrative that's actually propagated over the media and it's the complete opposite of it Mm -hmm. like it's not like i would never even know the people uh that i've met exist in america in the millions that they do Mm -hmm. if i hadn't actually been there to visit and it's kind of a it's a real disservice i think actually to the people right because uh I remember I was down at uh, South by Southwest Edu. It's the education festival attached to South by Southwest, and there was like probably ten, fifteen thousand people there, and just the energy around all these educators just wanting to rebuild their communities. I met some really incredible people, like these young cats from DC and all over the you know all over the country that were doing incredible things in their community. I'm like, mm-hmm. I I might see you guys once in a while on a CNN Heroes thing, but the rest of the time I don't even know who you are mm-hmm. because that is not the story. Uh, that is not the the portrayal that America even allows of itself uh, mm-hmm. to the outside world. And I think that's kind of a disservice because I think if that was actually shown, I don't know what it looks like inside the US, but like if the world saw more of that, I think our opinions of the country might be a lot different. I think our opinions of America is leadership and its people would probably be a little bit more nuanced than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately it's just, uh, the machine just keeps feeding us this crap.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We, we eat it too, man. We're over here eating all of that crap too for ourselves. Uh, yeah, it's a trip. It's a trip. Okay. Cause America's a trippy place. <laughs> um, you mentioned, yeah.
0: uh, you mentioned karma. Like, are you, um, uh, I think you, your family's, uh, got a Buddhist background, right? Mm-hmm. Does that, uh, how does that, uh, does it play into the way you see the world in any way? And if so, how
1: for sure, man, it's a, it's a, I mean, I think your belief system is like your true, you know, individual, personal deep down in the depths of your heart belief system is what I think is the cause of your happiness or suffering in many ways, the way you see things. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so for me to grow up in a, in a particular minority religion um, in a Christian you know, area and country and have to question these deep things about religion at a really young age and start to build some sense of myself through that. Um, and then in my adolescent years, 17, 18, 19, starting to practice on my own and starting to figure out that this could be a great tool for my life and it helped give me a, a good solid understanding of, to me of, of life. Um, and how to live a great life, um, and mm-hmm. apply it to my art, you know, and apply it to my everyday human interaction, and and it really be a practice. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of informed everything for sure. It's like the my lens for how I view the world. Um,
0: Is it something that uh, growing up uh, with your parents was it something that was um, just kind of in the background, like they weren't particular about you? um, you know, going through any specific rituals or practices? Um, and then you just kind of fell into it when you, when you realize that there was something there, or did you kind of have a more ritualistic kind of upbringing and then you started to understand it contextually as you grew up?
1: Uh, Great question, man. I, um, my pops was actually extremely strict. So hella crazy strict hit me very physical, (laughs) you know, a lot of immigrant folks. Um, anger issues, and and uh, one of his ways of reprimanding me was forcing me to chant. You know, our, one of our main practices is chanting. I'm right. sorry, chant for hours, like one, two, three hours. And I mean, this is from like eight years old. You know, seven, eight years, five, seven years old as a child. So it was like a, it was a repercussion. It was a, it was a negative consequence for me as a child. So, long story short, was going through a gang of shit, adolescent years, and then. He never, you know, he wasn't able to force me to chant. So I like hella rejected it, hated it. Um, and I'm also super, um, what do you call it? Um, cynical and, and it's hard for me to believe things. What's the word for it? Uh, skeptical, you know what I mean? Okay, I yeah. yeah. All that critical too. And so, but uh, I, when I was 17, was like going through a gang of, gang of shit in high school and, and had no, I think nothing else to do. And I thought maybe I'll try it out. And uh, and then, yeah, my life started to change, and that's kind of a, how it goes, I guess, yeah.
0: Does any part of you wonder if, uh, you know, the hours of chanting at, you know, eight years old uh, wore some grooves in your brain that might have come back in the form of rap and patterns sure. and verses?
1: For sure, for sure. Breath control and focus, um, um, discipline in some ways. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Interesting. It's trippy, yeah.
0: <laughs> as, as an artist now, uh, what do you want, when, like when you're out in a show again, okay, which hopefully is sooner than later, right? Hopefully this is a, a footnote in human history that we mm-hmm. can move past. I don't know how long that's going to be, but um, you know, when, when you're back out on the road, you're back out on stage, uh, you're in front of people in whatever way. When they hear you, when they see you, what do you want them walking away feeling or thinking? Like, do you think about what what you're trying to actually create for them in that way?
1: Themselves. That's a question I'd like to I'd like to try to answer more um, mm. for myself, man. Thank you for asking that. Um, yeah, you know the relationship between doing this for you and doing this for others, and um, it was always my hope that if I did myself justice, that I would do. I would do others justice as well in a way. Um, and if I really do my best, that maybe there's it's somewhere in there something would resonate uh, with somebody. Um, <clears throat> ultimately, any artist, I think, just wants someone to feel something. Feel anything, I think. Anything. And, uh, anything, man. That's, that's like the greatest gift in the world to, to know that you are able to help somebody feel something. And you know you'll never know or be able to measure that. You'll never, you know, um, and you don't have the right to, you know. And that's what's kind of beautiful about it. But um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully to answer your question, man. So I would encourage people to to help them help others, man, and 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 be nice to themselves and and uh, yeah, something like that.
0: I lo- I love that you said themselves. I think that's uh, actually the the brilliantly poetic way to put it. Where. That's the thing about music. I I think music is the single greatest thing, the single greatest creation of humanity, and it's the one thing that's going to echo on in eternity in terms of what Mm. we're actually capable of. Mm. Um, I I don't think we've been able to even come close with any other thing that we've created.
1: Mm. Man, that's a hell of a... Hell of a statement, man. It's dope. Yeah. I would probably have to agree with you, man. Vibrations, all of that.
0: It's crazy. It's it's a bold (laughs) statement, but I'm going to stick with it. It's Um, dope. So what what should people be looking out for you um, or from you uh, over the next while? Like, uh, I know obviously we're (coughs) on on lockdown right now, but uh, what do you got in the works that people should be looking out for?
1: uh man, a gang of a wide range of i feel like styles of music coming out and uh maybe not styles, but you know i have been fucking with auto tune recently, and okay, you know what I mean it's just kind of this shit's getting crazy man um I would say um yeah man I, it's just the perpetual album that's coming, you know, kind of thing, and working on some drops and um beat rock e p as well coming very soon, and so I'm excited, but it's also, it's also trippy because it's also like, I don't. Do I want to really put out music right now? And this is like, a, you know, what do I need to put out right now? What's the, you know, kind of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about, um, but um, yeah, honestly, I've just been laying low, man. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully some cool stuff.
0: Who do you listen to who've been so your big inspirations over the years? Maybe Kendricks, you know,
1: soundtrack to the tw- to my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, been super dope. Um, recently, Mick Jenkins, Isaiah Rashad, Ben Staples. It's kind of like this. I can always go to them in this, in this new age as far as some good good rap. And then I just started listening to homies' playlists. My homie curates these dope playlists, and it's a gang okay. of, you know, um, gang of Griselda on there. And, um, and like, my girl loves R&B, so she'd be having me listening to random dope R&B that I, like, don't know the name of. Um, but mostly, man, just working on my own music and listening to producers. Yeah, right now, just um, working with a gang of folks and whoever as well.
0: What's, uh, what's that process like for you? Do you... Uh hear a beat and then just start vibing with it or do you already have an idea in mind and then you're trying to figure out the the canvas
1: now i'm always the former always like hear to beat thumb through beats you know take stabs at them and um the process has evolved and it's quickened over the years but yeah these days man if i'll just if i hear it i know it and it's mm. right for the moment and it everything aligns and you capture this quick moment and uh go from there but yeah man i always beat first
0: um yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh well gee, thank you for making time for uh this. This has been uh, I've been you know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. It's uh it's funny that it just kind of worked itself out this way.
1: hmm No, thank you, man. This has been this has been super dope. Um yeah, it's fucking it's great to great to chop it up, though.
0: Sweet. So we'll uh I'll I'll definitely post uh links uh when this goes up, I'll post links to some of your stuff. Uh, you can find them all over YouTube and Spotify. Yeah, I mean, you're the only G. Yamazawa that you'll probably find anywhere. So uh, you ain't got <laughs> no excuses.
1: Ah, yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. All right. Peace.
0: Peace. If you've listened till this point in the podcast, I can assume only one or two things. One, you really dig this podcast. You just love it and you can't get enough. Or two, you started the podcast, you got busy with something else, or bored, you forgot about it, and it just kept playing on your phone, or is playing over your speakers in your room, you left the room, and right now I'm just talking to nobody. But if you're one of the former and you're really loving this podcast, please help spread the word. There's a lot of ways that you can help support the podcast and what we're doing here with these conversations. Of course, you can subscribe to us on any podcast app or platform of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're also on the incredible Ruckus Avenue Radio online station. If you really like what you're hearing, please help spread the word. There's a lot of ways you can do that definitely hit us up on Apple Podcasts, leave a review and a rating. You can also engage with us and suggest ideas for new guests and topics and conversations all over social media, on Instagram at Awoken Word Podcast, and on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook, we're at Awoken Word. If you like what you're hearing, share it on social media, feel free to bring up any of the conversations or topics we've talked about here in your own podcasts or your own conversations. So until next time, be well, be safe, and I'll see you again on Awoken Word. Peace out.